Israel is so much more than Krav Maga or falafel, and Jewish continuity has far greater meaning than watching Fiddler on the Roof with your kids. Welcome to the Thrive Study Abroadcast, the show where we will talk about modern Israel, Jewish values, and everything in between. I'm your host, Adi Isaacs, director of Thrive Study Abroad. For the last 15 years, I've seen how a semester or more in Israel will change a student forever. In this podcast, incredible students and people just like them share how Israel and Jewish values not only inspire them, but empower them to make an impact. Yala, Achi, and welcome to the show. Max, very, very exciting to sit again with you. It's been too too long. It's really exciting to be here, Rabbi Isaacs. Thank you for having me. Well, I will say it's much more fun to be sitting in my house together with you, but uh, in your office is almost as exciting. Yeah, we're here on the 61st floor overlooking the Tel Aviv skyline. When I moved to Israel, the one thing I really wanted for my apartment was uh, vintage fi- vintage pictures of Israel. <laughs> and I bought a picture that was taken in 19... 19- I think 37 of the Tel Aviv skyline and there's nothing. And it's always amazing to come up here to the 61st floor and see what this city and what this country is becoming. God willing, just the, just the beginning. Amen. Amen. Well, okay. So we're here, we're here in Tel Aviv, but uh, you know, we, we touched upon this in, a, in an earlier episode, but really would love to delve a little deeper just because you have a, a fascinating story, amazing story. And something I think that could really could resonate with a lot of people. Uh, so I want to hear, like, wh- where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school? And just a little bit about a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in New York City on the Upper East Side. My mom grew up in New York City on the Upper East Side, about four blocks from where I grew up. And my dad grew up in Long Island. Wow. And I would say like a few miles away. A few miles, uh, more than a few miles, but <laughs> less than an hour. And both of my parents grew up with some Jewish identity, but not much. Uh, and then a few years before I was born, my mom was fortunate enough to meet Robertson Esther Youngrice of Blessed Memory, who had a tremendous impact on her. Uh, and then my dad began learning as well with with Robertson Youngrice and her family. Uh, and my parents helped build Hanani uh, in New York, which is wow. an organization which is dedicated to helping seek out Jews and enlighten them on Jewish identity, Jewish values, Jewish teachings, and Jewish observance. Uh, and so from a very early age, I always felt that I had a deep connection, a deep faith uh, in God and, and deep appreciation for my Jewish upbringing. But transparently, I, I would say growing up, I was not particularly observant. Um, Where did you go to high school? I went to a school called Horace Mann, which is probably 40% forty to 50% Jewish. But um, again, a sort of somewhere between reform and conservative Judaism. Um, most people. And so I, I was actually the sort of the most religious. My friends called me rabbi because I kept some level of kosher growing up. So that was my, my upbringing. But I would say the, the moment I often speak about or the weekly moment I would speak about where I really developed this deep faith and deep passion was watching my mom light Shabbat candles every Friday. And she would often light candles and she would cover her eyes. And depending on what was happening that week, um, she would delve in and pray to pray to God. And oftentimes she would cry. And I, I don't know if I internalized this when I was young, but the more I reflect on it, the, the act of tears and praying for her kids, her husband, herself, her parents, whatever it might be, I feel like that was really where I began to develop my own personal relationship with God 
But really growing up from age zero to 18, I would say my relationship with Judaism was both with my family. So we'd have Shabbat dinners, we'd observe various Jewish holidays and my personal relationship with God. But I, I never really experienced what it meant to be part of a Jewish community. I never went to Hebrew school. I never went to Jewish summer camp. So for me, Judaism was really my relationship with, with God and, and observance through my family. Two things, just to back up. It's an amazing, amazing story. When did your parents, at what age were you when your parents started getting involved in, in uh, with the young crisis? It was a few years before I was born. Oh, so okay. I actually... Uh, so you, very, were always, you grew up with it? I grew up with it, and I'm actually very blessed. I was the first person named in honor of Meshulam Youngrice, who was uh, Rebbe Esther Youngrice's late husband. Um, and that's something that I, I really cherish and value. And, um, and and I think it's a great legacy for my parents and God willing for me. So it was before I was born, but each child that my parents had, they decided to adopt more mitzvot. So when I was born, they stopped eating shellfish. When my brother was born, they stopped mix, mixing milk and meat. When my sister was born, they stopped eating non-kosher meat. And when my other sister was born, they uh, my mom started to bake challah every week. And after that, they decided they didn't want to do anything else. They couldn't have any more kids. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think it's also that even that idea of, of doing more and more over time is something that's very important to me. I think it's it's a beautiful thing to continue growing on a path, not to wake up one day and completely change your observance one way or another, and really to feel like every day, every month, every year, you're growing in, in a Jewish way, Jewish capacity. It's super fascinating because I'm sure that you're familiar with the Pew, the 2020, that says that uh, 25% of Jews don't believe in God. And that includes, meaning 25% of Jews believe in God. And that includes the Orthodox, meaning so a large percentage is that. And yet the Pew says that 56% of U.S. citizens believe in God. So it's a, it's a it's a huge discrepancy. So how was it growing up in your elementary school and high school and you no know, college where you were probably one of the few? I think it's a great question, and those numbers are are pretty startling. I mean, I think first and foremost a, a disclosure, which is should be obvious, but I think it's worth saying, which is that I'm not one to force my views or beliefs on any others. And I think you know when when people tell their people how or what they should believe or shouldn't believe or how or what they should the should or shouldn't observe. I think is is flawed and very problematic, and so that's not at all what I'm suggesting anyway. I'm just merely speaking about my it's own your story, yeah, my, my own personal story and and my faith. But to, to more directly answer your question, I would say faith wasn't something that we we spoke about often. I mean, when I went to school and you know played football or tennis with my friends and came home or did math homework, you know, the topic of the existence of God was not was not <laughs> something that was talked about frequently. And frankly, neither was Jewish observance. I mean, you know, we'd have Shabbat dinners and. You know, if if one of the myself or my siblings had a party, then that would be that would be more important than than Shabbat dinner, oftentimes. Uh, and so again, there was there was some observance, but it wasn't the the dominating factor of my life. But again, I, I always had deep faith, deep connection, and even you know, my mom. You know, for example, when we're standing on the street in New York City and it's pouring rain, and she's able to hail a taxi or now an Uber, I should say. You know, she says, oh, thank God, Baruch Hashem, BH, as she would say, right? This idea that even the littlest moments in the day are are an act of God, I think, was something that definitely rubbed off on me consciously or unconsciously. Mm. And your your siblings are all the, also rubbed off as deeper, maybe being by the oldest. Is- I think all of my siblings have their own relationships with with God and with Judaism. Um, but I'd say I'm definitely the most most connected. 
just just going back into high school and no and and also college where, where did you go to college and like throughout the years what, what were some of the extracurricular things that you really enjoyed doing and taking part of so i went to harvard and studied economics while i was there and growing up i was very interested in tennis played a lot of tennis um and i was very interested in in china so i studied mandarin for a few years and spent time studying in shanghai and beijing when i was in ninth grade and then when I was in college, things dramatically changed, which is a, a much longer story that we probably don't have time for on this podcast. But the short of it is uh, I was very worried going to college about what my Jewish identity, how my Jewish identity would evolve. Because as I mentioned before, part of my Jewish identity was my relationship with God. But the big part of my Jewish identity was my family and, and observance of my family. And so I didn't know what it would be like living a few hours away and not having my parents and, and siblings around uh, and, and I would say I feel very lucky that I had a very positive college experience as it relates to both my religious journey and, you know, academics, extracurriculars, et cetera. So what ended up happening was I would say my f- freshman year, my first year in college, I both experienced various forms of anti-Israel or anti-Israel sentiment and or anti-Semitism. And more importantly, I met Israelis for the first time, really, and I met modern Orthodox Jews, and and in, I also in, while in college, while in college, my freshman year, and I had never really had any friends growing up who were modern Orthodox or, or religious in any way, and I had never really met Israelis who were peers. You know, I had been to Israel once for my bar mitzvah, and I'd been to a handful of Israel events over the years, but on the Israel side, I'd say it's different when you when you mean Israeli who's more of your peer as opposed to an Israeli who's speaking to you, you know, at a stage or at a conference. Uh, and so I think I developed a much deeper connection to Israel through understanding the experiences of my Israeli friends. And, and at the same time, my, my modern Orthodox friends helped me uh, and encouraged me to, to learn more both about my Jewish identity and about Israel and what it means for the world and what it means for the Jewish people. And one thing led to the next, and again, I always say it was a mix of the anti-Israel and anti-Semitism, but perhaps more than anything else, it was the the gentle encouragement of my friends and peers. I started going to conferences, I started reading books, I started taking classes on Israel. And one thing led to the next, and you know, next thing you know, I'm in beginner's Hebrew, which was met six times a week and was the most intense thing I've done, but one of the most amazing things I've done. And I remember you know, the third week of the class, we're translating Hatikva, which is Israel's national anthem. And I had heard Hatikva growing up, but I, I really had no idea what it meant. And here we are translating Hatikva. And, and you know, I, for the first time, I understood what it meant, right? The idea that after 2,000 years, the Jewish people have returned to our ancestral homeland. And I started hysterically crying, literally in the middle of this class. Middle of the know, class. Middle of class. I'm like crying. I'm like, A, how did I not know this? And for someone who I thought had a, a deep connection to Judaism and B, this is pretty amazing, right? That after 2000 years of wandering and suffering and affliction uh, in the diaspora, uh, the Jewish people have created a, a Jewish homeland in, in, in Eretz Israel. So I, I think for me, really, the I, again, I was always Zionist. I was always supportive of Israel, but I never had it as my sort of main goal in life. I never, ever thought I would live here. And, um, and yeah, with, with the more learning I had, with the more negative experiences I had, the more I, I began to care and, and learn. Amazing. Was Israel something also that you, that was brought up and talked about in your, in your home? No, it really wasn't, a. again, my family was never 
against Israel. It just wasn't something that was talked about, I think. So you really credit the Israelis that you met? No, it was a mix of the Israelis, the, the observant Jews who pushed me to learn more, and the anti-Israel sentiment, which more than anything piqued a curiosity. And then what happened was, after I started caring more about Israel, I decided I wanted to spend more time here. So I came for a summer on a wonderful program called Birthright Excel, where I had a 10-week internship in Tel Aviv. And then I decided to come back abroad to study at Tel Aviv University, which was also a wonderful experience. And that was where I had the, the great fortune of meeting, of meeting you, Rabbi Isaacs. Uh, and I, I know I've said this before, but I will say it again. I think what Maybe I'll take a step back and then I'll speak about, about the impact of the program. So in terms of my relationship with Israel, once I spent the summer here, I think things changed in two ways. One, my, my Zionism, my passion transitioned from sort of pure political Zionism to an excitement about Israeli tech. So I discovered Startup Nation. I began exploring all the amazing opportunities to invest and to start companies here. And then I ultimately has led to my career path in terms of investing in Israeli tech and my thesis all about Israeli tech. Uh, but the other thing was I began to view Israel as, as more of a potential home for, for me. Um, and so that was really why I decided to study abroad at Tel Aviv University to spend more time here. You know, I'd never taken classes on Israeli politics or the history of anti-Semitism or the Israeli economy. And so the opportunity both to, to learn more in an academic context about Israel, but also to spend more time here, to spend time with the Israelis who I'd met in the previous summer uh, and also to to learn more about what it would mean to to spend years of my life here uh, and thrive um, the program that that you founded and run really had a, a tremendous impact on me in a different context, which is I think it helped me understand that part of the reason why I'm so passionate about Israel and the existence of Israel is because I'm passionate about my Jewish identity. And so on thrive, I began to explore, you know what does Jewish identity mean for me? What does Jewish observance mean for me? What does learning uh, Jewish principles, Jewish values, Jewish teachings mean for me? Uh, and so it was a great chance to to yes, you know, do Shabbatones around the country and and meet Israeli politicians and explore more of Israeli tech. But I think what it really gave me, among other things, was um, a chance to to further explore my Jewish faith. What sparked the interest of you learning more about your Jewish faith, and what what uh, what what helped you learn about a little bit more about your Jewish faith? So I th- again, I think the idea that it started with with sort of Zionism and a connection to Israel, and it wasn't particularly a religious connection to Zionism. It was more of a, an appreciation for Jewish history and the understanding of what it means for for the Jewish people to have a state of our own. But um, and and then yeah, and then once I was here, you know. I began asking, well, what does it mean to be Jewish? You know, if I if I feel deeply connected to to Jewish history and to the Jewish people, you know, what, what how do I define my Jewish identity? What does it mean to be Jewish for me? And again, there's no there's no right or wrong. There's no observance level or form of Judaism that's better or worse. It just was a, a series of questioning that I wanted to explore further. So I, again, I think what Thrive and what Learning with You did was help me better understand both Jewish teachings, you know, the basics, um, you know, from, from the Bible and whatnot, but also more around uh, Jewish customs. So Shabbat, as an example, um, you know, I had Shabbat dinners growing up, but in my house, Shabbat was over when Friday night dinner finished. <laughs> and and the, the notion that Shabbat actually goes until Saturday sunset was, was a crazy, uh, crazy idea. So much so that uh, a year and a half ago, my 12-year-old sister 
wanted me to drive her to a tennis lesson on Saturday morning. And I told her that I can't because it's Shabbat. She said, what do you mean? Shabbat's only Friday night. <laughs> um, but, but no, to, to, to wrap a bow around it, I think having, having the experience of what a beautiful Shabbat is for you know, spending 25 hours without technology, without the distractions of the outside world, without, um, you know, just with friends, with family, with community and being able to talk for hours on end uh, and not be distracted. And so I think once I returned to campus for my senior year, I was thinking more about what it would mean to try to become uh, Shomer Shabbat and, and, and observing Shabbat in a more formal capacity. But life is crazy and life is hard. And, you know, I wasn't at home and I had all this work and I kept making excuses. And then COVID started my senior spring. Uh, it was, I guess, March, April of my senior spring. And I found myself at home with my family and no work. And so it was this perfect storm of, I can maybe try to see what it means to, to observe Shabbat. Uh, and so at that point, I decided I wanted to take Shabbat uh, observance more seriously. Uh, to stop using my phone from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, to not use any form of technology, to not go in cars. Um, and I still, I'm not fully, I don't want to say I'm fully observant in all the, the nuances of the rules. But for me, the, the main ideas of not using technology, being with family and friends, not going in cars to stay close to home is very, very important. And so it's now been close to three years and I can, I can proudly say Shabbat has been life-changing. Wow. I'm sure there must have been many challenges um, in terms of your Shabbat over the past three years. Is there anything that sticks out just in terms of something that you had to stick to your values versus a challenge that, that came up? Yeah, there was one, there have been a handful of experiences with work that have been difficult. The company I work for has been extremely supportive of me in, in every way in, in my observance, but um, obviously there are, there are always conflicts. Um, so there was one moment in particular where I was trying to meet a very senior member of our team, and I was going back and forth with his assistant on scheduling, and she mentioned that the only time he's available was Saturday at, at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And so I had a big questions. Do I take the meeting? Do I ask to reschedule? Do I walk there? Can I say it's not work because he's also my friend? Um, and I had a big debate because I really wanted to do this meeting. I'd been looking forward to this meeting for many months. And I ultimately decided I didn't want to do the meeting because for me, uh, if one thing is an exception, then everything can be an exception. And so I decided to tell him and his assistant that I couldn't make the Saturday meeting work. Uh, and so long story short, we ended up postponing the meeting and it took another two months to get the meeting rescheduled. And when the meeting finally got rescheduled, uh, it really could not have gone better. And it was in that meeting that ultimately this colleague of mine told me that I could relocate to, to Tel Aviv to help open our Israel office. And so I, I really believe that, uh, again, for me, my Shabbat observance has been a, a weekly reminder that you know, the world doesn't stop when you shut off your phone. And as much as we might think we're fully in control of our lives, ultimately, again, for me, um, there's a higher power that is behind everything we do. So it's been a, an opportunity to have a weekly reflection on faith and what faith means to me. And from a lifestyle perspective, I think taking a break, being with friends, not being so distracted um, has been has been revolutionary for me. So I don't I don't think I would be able to get through my week now without knowing that. Shabbat is uh, it's just a few hours away, or just a few days away. I'm sure aside for work challenges, there must be also familial issues. You know, as much as, uh, you know, you're very loving and welcoming family that you've learned a lot from, 
is that a lot of us do different things than our family. And I'm sure there must be some challenges that came up with that also. How's it been in terms yeah. of your family? You know, I, I, I love my family more than life itself. And I feel incredibly blessed to have amazing parents and amazing siblings. But it's certainly been difficult. I think the, the, the times when it's more difficult are when we're on vacation, when you know my family wants to go out for dinner for, on Friday night, or we wanna, my parents want to go somewhere Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. And, and it becomes challenging because, again, I, I don't want to impose my observance on my family, and I, I don't want them to have to, quote unquote, suffer because of my observance. So how, how do you navigate that? Because you do have such an amazing, I know you talk about your parents so often, you have such an amazing relationship with them. So how do you navigate that discomfort? It's an ongoing challenge. I think it's all about trying to be understanding of both sides. So one of the things I said to my parents is both of them grew up not observing any level of kosher. And then throughout their lives, they've decided to increase their kosher observance. And you know their parents sometimes say that it's ridiculous that they observe kosher. And so what I've said to my parents is, you know, you raised me in a, observing some level of kosher and you raised me most weeks having a, a family Shabbat dinner. And for me, the way I want to live, at least right now, and the way I hope to raise my kids is with some level of a, a Shomer Shabbat home. And so I think understanding it in that prism of most people often think what they're doing is, you know, quote unquote, the best way to observe but I think it's just trying to be very open and understanding and trying to compromise wherever possible. Um, but again, as, as you told me, Rabbi Isaacs, the importance of honoring thy mother and father oftentimes trumps most other laws. And so I think I've, I've tried to really strike a balance. And, uh, and, and even if it's more difficult for me to put my family first, and it's an ongoing, um, it's an ongoing opportunity, challenge, but no, I, by, by and large, my family's been enormously supportive, and it's taken time. But thank God, it's been it's been good. In terms of other people, you know, there are you no know, trends. Are as we said before in the beginning, trends are for the for the Jewish population is that people are getting less and less affiliated with their Jewish heritage and connection to Israel. Is number one is why would you suggest people to explore and to take time? to to learn more to see more um you know, wh- why is it an important value for jews to to take this time again I, I think it's it's not it's not my job and not anyone's job to to tell someone how to observe i think what is important though is exploring your identity and that can and will mean different things to different people but i think you know this is a bad example but you know, in high school, you take all these classes you take in the U.S. and non-Jewish schools. You take chemistry, you take physics, you take philosophy, etc. And if you don't go to a Jewish school, you don't learn anything about Judaism. So I went to, I was fortunate to go to one of the best preparatory schools in the country for 13 years. And we never really studied Judaism with the exception of a few classes in the context of a historical religion class in eighth grade. And so I, I one day said to myself, hey, you know, I, I spent a year studying physics and I don't think physics has a particularly big impact on my life today or chemistry or some of these other classes or, you know, ancient Roman history or pick your subject. And so what doesn't it make some sense that this big part of my identity I should learn more about? And again, I think 
you know, learning can take a few forms. It can take the the form of yeah, that was um, exactly my next question is for somebody that does want to now delve a little bit into their identity and what it means. What, what would you suggest? I wish I had a, a better answer. I, mean, I think some learning can be just reading books either about um, Jewish history, Jewish teachings, you know, trying to read a, read a weekly reflection of the, the Parsha of the week. Uh, I would definitely encourage people to spend time in Israel in whatever capacity you can, in a, in a learning capacity as a student, as a business professional, there are a lot of opportunities to learn. I, I don't think there's any any crystal ball that, that you can always say what's the best way to learn. And, and p- different people will connect with different kinds of learning. So, you know, candidly for myself, I've sometimes struggled with deep, uh, deep texts that I find difficult to understand with a lot of people who I don't know and a lot of distinguished rabbis who I don't know much about. Uh, and so frankly, sometimes that kind of learning doesn't connect as much with me, but again, what's, what's connected with me is, um, learning the Parsha of the week, the story of the the exodus of the Jewish people. Um, that's something I think is, is really helpful and, and has given me a sense of both our history and our values and our teachings. Um, but also learning about Jewish history and understanding, um, in a deep way, what happened in the Holocaust? How could a Holocaust happen, right? How could one third of the Jews be wiped off the face of the earth, two thirds of European Jewry, right? How could America and other countries not accept Jewish refugees? You know, so understanding how that could have happened in our grandparents' lifetime, um, and then what it means to have a state of Israel, and understanding, you know, another example, right? In 1972, the Munich massacre, I had no idea what the Munich massacre was until three or four years ago when Palestinian terrorists murdered a number of Israeli Olympians at the Munich Olympic games. And I thought about this, like it's pretty crazy that I didn't know this had happened. And like, and I was trying to understand where the flaw in the system was that this could have happened. I guess the question is as a, as an American Jew living in New York, is it significant to know that, nine Olympians, Israeli Olympians were killed in Munich 30 years after the Holocaust. And I guess what I would say is the more I learned about it, I guess for me, it's an attack not on Israel, it's attack on the Jewish people and attack on Jewry. And so many times anti-Israel sentiment, I believe, is anti-Semitic and hatred of Jews. And so understanding things like the Munich massacre, uh, I think can help put your Jewish identity into context to understand, you know, over the last few decades, what it means to to be a, to be a Jew and to be in an era where we have a sovereign state of Israel that can not only defend itself but protect Jewish interests abroad. You know, another example, right? Adolf Eichmann, one of the most notorious Nazi criminals, who was one of the architects of the Final Solution, right? Very controversial, but Israel um, arrested him and, and and had him stand trial. And so to think that just a few years after the Jewish people were powerless, um, you know, quivering, uh, walking into to gas chambers, to think that just a few years later, we have a state, we have an army, we have people who can protect the Jewish people and protect Jewish interests, and also stand up to those who seek to annihilate us, I think is a pretty extraordinary thing if you think about, again, the, the context of where we are as a people. So... So you, just to summarize, you know, I think that what you're suggesting is for people that 
are looking to connect is putting history into context for the Jewish people is very eye-opening that will really want you to to learn more and to realize that there, there's something magical behind where we come from and therefore let's delve into it. Yes. Amazing. Thank you again for taking, uh, taking your time and uh, always amazing having great conversations with you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today and thank you for being a great friend and a great teacher and for doing miracle work to help educate connecting people to, to their Jewish identity. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please help us reach more people by subscribing on Apple Podcast and Spotify. For more content like this, visit our website at thrivestudyabroad.org.